Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, listeners. This is Stories to Keep You Up at Night, and I'm your host, Marco Palmieri. With me today is the source of my envy, Diana Foe. Oh, why envy, Marco? Well, you discovered P. Jelly Clark, <laughs> and I didn't. So, of course, I'm envious. I mean, I, I, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all fanboy here. I love Fenderson's stories. He is such an amazing writer. He helps me to experience i mean i thought i'd i'd read it all when he came to uh high fantasy and epic fantasy fenderson has just opened it up for me all over again and i i love everything about his writing i love his characterizations i love his his storytelling his his um his turns of phrase are beautiful and you were the one who actually brought him to tour weren't you yeah and it's uh interesting because both P. Jelly Clark and I met with the steampunk community years and years ago. Um, I won't date myself, really. <laughs> so, uh, and what was fun about, you know, just first encountering him is that we were both bloggers. We blogged about steampunk, but we weren't interested in Victorian England. We weren't interested in anything British, but we were really fascinated about retrofuturism and the non-Western world, like places in Asia and Africa and Latin America and indigenous peoples of North America, like all these different ways that you can talk about steampunk outside of this like British veneer, so to speak. And I think this story has kind of those same vibes. Yeah, no, I I mean, the story uh, that we've got coming up is with a golden Risha and it's so big, we have to tell it in two parts. Um, but it is an awesome swashbuckling adventure. Uh, we won't spoil it too much, and we, we won't talk a lot about it until we've uh, shared part two. But you guys are going to love it. I have no doubt. It's not one of the stories that uh, uh, Diana and I acquired while we were at tour, but it is a fantastic tale. So without further ado, we present for your listening enjoyment With a Golden Risha, part one, written by P. Jelly Clark and voiced by Wallace Hammond. 
The hanging stones of Ispa had been aptly, if also quite boringly, named. Twenty or more boulders floating high above the Jade Sea, as if unaware their weight should have made such a thing impossible. Some held a sorcerer had convinced the fool things they were feathers rather than stone. Others said it was the practical joke of a mischievous ifrit, though the humor had been lost to time. The erudite scholars of the college at Alm dismissed such tales, claiming the stones were filled with ore that repelled the earth much as a magnet or some such thing. The lone figure that sat perched on one of the hovering rocks weighed these many arguments, deciding in the end they were irrelevant. All that mattered now was that he was trapped here, with little chance of rescue. Saleh plucked the strings of his pear-shaped oud with a worn tortoise risha, sending music into the air that turned and danced in time to his song, an ode to a fat-bottomed girl named Neshi, who liked to watch him dance with silver bells in his hair. He once had the fortune of meeting the celebrated oud player Mahir the Magnificent, who between a haze of hashi smoke dispensed sage advice. Sing what you know. Tell tales that you have lived. Mahir the Magnificent shared other secrets to his success. Keep a salted fish tight your beard for luck. Gargle with bitter black leaf tea for the voice. Use only one name and earn a sobriquet, which every musician of note carried. Saleh passed on the first two bits of counsel, but followed the third, to the mortification of his family. They had hoped his pursuit of music a passing phase until he dropped out of the college at Alm. Lectures on law, mathematics, and alchemy moved him little. He wanted to travel the world, see wondrous things, compose songs that would be sung forever, and earn a sobriquet. None of that included ending up here. Saleh lay down his oud, eyeing the azure expanse that stretched in every direction. Whoever knew there could be so much sky? Peering over the edge of the airborne boulder, he stared down at the jade sea. He could almost make out its glittering surface between patches of clouds where birds soared on the drafts. A few came up at times to regard him, curious of this flightless interloper. Not for the first time, he cursed the spineless captain who deposited him on this rock. Don't have a choice, boy, the man told him. Not when you've made enemies of a high-caste noblewoman threatening to have my airship impounded at the next port. He muttered apologies for all they were worth, leaving food and a cask of water. But that was two days past. Saleh finished most of the food that first night. How else was he expected to ease his troubles? His water was near gone, and he could already feel his belly touching his back. A few more days, and the next passing ship might find nothing but his bones. The thought wilted his spirit. If that happened, who would ever complete his songs? He ran a hand through his bushy hair in frustration. His mother had warned that his smile and pretty face would one day land him in trouble. He'd only taken a job as Neshi's music teacher to gain passage out of the port city of Bukra. Who could have guessed the tongue in that pampered noble mouth was so skilled? Her large eyes were tearful when her mother had put him off ship. He wondered if she cried for him now. Saleh scowled, pushing Neshi, her eyes, and especially her fat bottom, from his head. Fishing through the pockets of his trousers, he retrieved a set of wooden beads. Despite his naming, he was not the most pious of men, but this seemed as good a time for prayer as any. 
he had been raised to revere the one God, though his mother still kept a small chapel to honor the many. Sitting cross-legged, he began to recite the ninety-nine names of the one passed down from his father, hoping for miracles, mercy, and favors. It was as he was on the thirty-second that he spied the ship. It was a speck in the distance, so far away that he first mistook it for a bird. Only birds didn't leave trails of smoke in their wake. Scrambling to his feet, Saleh shouted, his voice echoing through the expanse as he jumped, waving his arms in desperation. When the ship turned towards him, his heart soared, sending his legs into a frenzied dance. The one truly was beneficent. But as the craft drew closer and he spied it for true, his elation and shouts died away. The sky above the Jade Sea was a shipping way for cargo vessels and barges. This ship was neither of those. Black and sleek, it cut through the empty sky like a steel shark, its engines and propellers unnaturally silent. The flag it flew was plain enough, white with crimson calligraphy worked into a serpent with clawed feet. Not the standard of any kingdom or federation, not even a merchant's guild. That was the flag of a pirate. Saleh cursed anew. Of all the misfortunes, not some spiced drug smuggler or sky squid hunters, but pirates. He must have been a brain-addled fool. He was above the Jade Sea. How could he forget that nearby was Adal, or what had once been Adal? a sultanate splintered by wars of succession and now ruled by scores of clans, each their own fiefdom. Other kingdoms had taken advantage, fishing Adal's waters openly, roaming its skies and plundering its goods. Adali fishermen and farmers had turned to piracy, exacting what they called the local tax upon any vessel they captured. Frantic, he wondered at his next course. Hide? Eyeing the barren rock, he laughed aloud at the impossible. Should he perhaps wave them away? And do what then, he mused? Remain here? Resume his title as the lone lord of Ispa? But pirates, the stories said they flayed captives alive, killed for sport, and ravished women. Come to think of it, those tales said they ravished pretty-faced men too. Kissing his prayer beads, Saleh stuffed them back into his pocket. There was no way out of this and he needed more than prayer now. Strapping on his oud, he placed the risha to its strings and began plucking out a tune. Mahir the Magnificent claimed the truly skilled could soothe men or beasts with their music, though Saleh was not sure where pirates fit along that line. So it was, when the sleek black airship finally reached him, it found a lone figure in a garish green kaftan, tan trousers, and the worn tan boots of a city dweller playing an oud and humming an idle song. Adali faces stared down at him from the railing of the airship's hull, bewildered. A few pointed and laughed, exchanging words and incredulous looks, as if they'd happened upon a talking mule. Saleh continued to play. If they were laughing, they weren't skewering him. Finishing a final chorus, he bowed. There was no applause. A wonderful serenade to the clouds. Someone remarked. Saleh looked up to find a man leaning over the side of the ship, weighing him like a fisherman eyeing a strange catch. He was unmistakably Adali, lean with dark, taut skin. 
His voice was so high-pitched and melodious, Saleh almost mistook him for a woman, but for the beard. A ransom of gold circled his neck, matching the stitching worked into his ivory kaftan. Peace be with you, Saleh greeted amiably. I'm Saleh, a musician by trade, born in the city of Qums, recently departed from Bukra. It's my fortune, my very life, to come upon you. The man arched an eyebrow. And how is it, Saleh, music maker of Qums, recently of Bukra, that you find yourself? He gestured to the length of sky and hovering rock. Here. Saleh put on a half grin. I owe a necromancer in Bukra a bit of money. Well, more than a bit, actually. But this latest setback was a noble woman's idea of a joke. At that, the man wrinkled his lips, as if tasting something sour. Before Saleh could discern what he might have said wrong, another voice called out from the ship. This one was deep and not at all melodious. You're often in the company of noble woman, it rumbled. If I was, Saleh called back loudly to the unseen voice, I probably know to keep away from their daughters. So you're no rich man. Saleh laughed. Rich men don't borrow money from necromancers to pay gambling debts. A rich man's pet then. Saleh's smile faded. His family were petty artisans, hardly wealthy, and while he wouldn't mind riches, he'd gladly take fame first. As for someone's pet. I am rich in talent, he said pointedly. What I earn is honest, created by my own hands, and I am no one's pet. There was quiet. Chagrin momentarily heated Saleh's face. Not very smart if he had just insulted his would-be rescuers. But instead of anger, there was laughter, a booming thing that rose up from that unseen voice. Now that is a proper answer, it bellowed. Bring him on then. There were new shouts, and in short order a plank was lowered. Saleh breathed in relief as he walked up its length. His anxiety returned, however, when he stepped on board. There were Adali everywhere, more than he had imagined. Most wore the long, colorful sarongs common to Adal, along with an outlandish clash of embroidered kaftans, silk shawls, and other garments. The ivory hilts of pistols and knives showed from where they were tucked into folds and sashes. Not just Adali either, now that he looked close. Bronze and even pale hues dotted the bunch. At least three were Yuangari, their faces bearing the tattoos and curved eyes of the dragon kingdoms. One of the pirates was actually a woman, with long raven black hair and coppery skin, though she dressed little different than her companions. Saleh's gawking at the strange crew was broken as a tall figure strode from their midst. This man was decidedly not Adali. With broad shoulders and muscled arms that looked better fitted on an iron worker, his black skin was darker than even the Adali, clashing with his blue gold-trimmed coat and crimson trousers. And were those papers stuffed into his pockets? He towered over Saleh, a wide grin flashing from inside a rich black beard. So this is the old player, he rumbled cordially. Fell into debt with a sorcerer? Plucked the wrong noblewoman's daughter with your Risha? The crew cackled at this, some grinning to show dark stained teeth. The raven-haired woman cackled loudest of all. She was my patron, Saleh explained. I taught her daughter... Oh, I'm sure you were a master teacher, the big man cut in. This set off a new round of mirth. 
Saleh tried to smile along, though he felt ill at ease among the raucous lot. They had it all wrong anyway. It was Neshi who chased him, like a hawk after a mouse. He was the one they should feel sorry for. Still, the big man said, his tone turning serious. Your honest work was worth more than whatever this wretched noblewoman paid you. She robbed you of your true worth. The crew murmured solemn assent at this, and Saleh nodded feebly along. He supposed that was the case, though he never thought of it that way. I owe you thanks, he said graciously. I would have starved out here. You must have been sent by the one. He paused and then hastily added, Or the many. People could be touchy about the religion. Best to cast a wide net. The big man smiled wryly. Don't thank us yet. We're not putting to port for another month. You'll be here a while. Saleh felt his stomach fall away. A month? Among pirates? The one preserve him. And there's the matter of what to do with you, the big man continued, fingering his beard. Labor is cherished here. Everyone earns their keep. You have any skill working an airship? Saleh shook his head. Airship work? He couldn't even change a carriage wheel. The big man grunted. Well, looks like it's the bowels for you then. The bowels? Saleh asked. That didn't sound pleasant. The engine room, the big man explained casually, where we keep most of our uh, guests helping feed the fires. Hard work, dirty work, but honest. He turned to the melodious-voiced Adali, whose sour face now wore a satisfied grin. Kuli, see that he's shown his proper place. Saleh started in alarm as Kuli took hold of his arm. The engine room? He'd heard of such places. So hot you had to strip to the waist, spending days shoveling coal into furnaces. He looked down to his brown, delicate hands. They were his life. He couldn't ruin them between gears and soot. Wait, he cried, trying to pull away. I, I can do other work. I've been to school. I speak three of the old tongues. I speak five, the big man shrugged, already turning away. Saleh tried again. I'm a musician, remember? I could entertain you. The big man seemed offended. Do I look like some pampered noble old player? Your crew then, Saleh urged, desperate. I could sing for your crew. This earned a dismissive wave. My crew is busied with their labors. There's no time for song. There's always time for song, Saleh retorted. All you do here is labor? Your crew has no enjoyment? That seemed to catch the big man's interest as if Saleh had offered some challenge. He walked back, bending close to speak. Everyone you see here were fishermen once, or toiled on merchant vessels. They were treated like beasts. On this ship, they work for themselves, and they are treated like men. There's contentment in that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. There was such surety in his proclamation, Saleh almost faltered, but remembering his predicament, he held his ground. Didn't ask if they were content. Asked if they had enjoyment. What's the purpose of work if you can't enjoy yourself now and then? He swung the oud from his back, 
patting its wooden frame. What I do is work, not just for the wealthy, but those who labor. It gets them through the day and soothes them after. Reminds them there's life beyond their tasks. I wager if you ask your crew, they tell you the same. The big man listened earnestly, then turned an inquisitive eye to his crew. There was silence for a moment, and Saleh looked into those Adali faces, pleading. Place your faith in the music, Mahir the Magnificent had told him. It will always bring you through. I could use some music, someone finally voiced. Saleh saw it was the raven-haired woman and smiled appreciatively. She shrugged in response. Let him play. If he's no good, we'll throw him and his siri'ud over the side. The crew cheered in agreement and Saleh lost his smile. The big man appeared to mull this over, then nodded. You're quite the philosopher, old player, he remarked. Saleh almost laughed aloud. Philosophy? That was boredom itself. Seems you've convinced Dali. And with her, the crew. Keep them satisfied and you might just avoid the bowels yet. He chortled at this. Good luck. Kuli, let's get underway and give him what he needs. Kuli snapped at the command, barking out orders that were picked up and carried. The crew scattered, going about their varied duties with precision. In moments, the sails of the airship billowed as the propellers spun, sailing them away from Ispa. Saleh watched the hovering rocks recede in the distance, hoping he'd made a fair trade. Suppose you need food, sour-faced Kuli asked finally. Saleh clutched his stomach, which growled in answer. The man rolled his eyes, but beckoned him along. Your captain, Saleh began as they walked. He motioned to the big man, who now stood upon the deck with arms clasped behind his back like an immovable statue. He's not a captain, Kuli cut in. No captains on this ship. Your leader, then, Saleh tried. He doesn't look Adali. Not Adali, Kuli responded dryly. He's from farther south, though he's traveled much of the world, more than most men. A great amount of wisdom in him. The man's melodious voice seemed to sing now. In his homeland, his given name was Aganda. In the kingdoms, however, he goes by Osman. Saleh stumbled to a stop and gaped. Kuli turned back with a toothy grin, his dark eyes mischievous. So you've heard the name, he purred. It wasn't a question. Everyone had heard of Osman, the most notorious pirate in memory. He attacked merchant and imperial vessels alike and spoke treason against the emir, calling for the end to rulers. A madman, certainly. The bounty he carried was rumored enough to buy a small kingdom, though none who tried to collect it returned alive. Many named him the Pirate Prince. When Saleh finally got his legs working again, he trudged along in silence, whispering to the one, and the many, that he managed to leave this strange affair alive. His work on the airship, which went by the peculiar name The Beggar, began that very day. After gorging on a meal of rice, caramelized onions, and lentils with spiced lamb, he found a place with shade on the deck and set about his task. The crew, however, proved less than receptive. His best melodies of skillful heptatonic scales produced barely a glance, certainly no applause. He went to sleep frustrated that first night, sharing a cramped space with an Adali who snored like a boar had not helped. Still, 
it was better than the alternative. He learned that the guests assigned to the engine room were nobles and merchants, captured from vessels and held for ransom. While they remained, they were put to work feeding the furnaces. Osman was determined that, for at least that time, they would know honest work. With that threat hanging over his head, the bit about throwing him over the side had to be perverse pirate humor, Saleh took another course. The next day, he did not sit. Instead, he roamed the airship, walking among the crew as they labored. He also remembered one of Mahir the Magnificent's bits of wisdom. Give the people the music they want, not what you believe is best for them. That morning, he stuck up a popular Adali song, playing it in the manner of their kaban, a type of oud. He'd listened to a few Adali play and remembered well their tempo and lilting voices. The crew reacted with surprise, at first suspicious, but eventually granting grudging approval. A few asked to hear songs from their home, as if putting him to a test. At first he was uncertain, but if he was sung a verse, he'd often realize he did know it, though by different names. The fast-paced, the dancing dervish, turned out to be one in the same with Adali, the whirling star. And the well-known folk tale, The Pearl and the Fisherman, was, for the Adali, the fisher's fortune. In short order, it seemed the whole crew had requests. Some tried to teach him more obscure Adali songs and bits of Adali to go with it. At night, the tunes called for turned body. The exploits of a dashing Adali seaman with private parts of iron. The fisherman's daughter who was always easily talked out of her dress. The eel with a curious shape that startled all who caught it. Saleh sang them shamefaced to boisterous laughter. The odd women of the ship, four in all, seemed to enjoy the body songs most, taunting him for even coarser lyrics. Most especially, however, the crew enjoyed songs of the less fortunate. The tale of the nobleman's daughter who became a pauper to live with her poor lover. The story of the boiler maker cheated from his pay, who died for lack of medicine. The girl thief who duped a foolish king from his wealth. His music brought him acceptance among the pirate crew. They showed him around the airship, teaching a bit of rigging and knotwork, at which he was terrible. They also displayed other talents. Some Adali were remarkable dancers, clapping their hands and moving their hips as Saleh played. A thick moustached Juangari dazzled everyone with the ability to make coins and even knives disappear from his fast-working hands. He offered to teach Saleh the trick, if he could learn the oud in turn. But thus far, neither had picked up the other's skill. Even Osman engaged him, during evenings on the windswept deck, sipping mint tea with sweet milk and cardamom. Unfortunately, all the man talked about were the many ways the wealthy robbed those who labored for them, and how the poor would soon overthrow their masters. Saleh listened politely, though he thought it all boring to the point of numbness. He had known more than a few poor men. All they hoped for at the end of the day was to drown their sorrows with hashi or with a wide-hipped woman, and they would expend their meager earnings for both. But Osman was not dissuaded. The man fashioned himself one of the philosopher kings of old, who had ushered in divine faith, reconciling the worship of the one and the many. Osman claimed to be writing a treatise of labor and rebellion that would be just as inspiring, which explained the papers he kept stuffed in his pockets. When it was complete, he planned to spread his book far across the lands to begin his revolution. What grand delusions! 
Still, these pirates were not what Saleh expected. They spent their days at storytelling, trading jokes, or assigning biting nicknames. There was one leg, six toes, Scarface, big teeth, knock knees, and so on. Kuli, it turned out, was itself a nickname, a chirping bird particular to Adal. Osman was the only one, it seemed, above such taunting. Though claiming no one land or ruler, the pirates held a zealous faith in their leader's vision. Saleh might have simply called them naive wanderers, if not for the raiding. The day of his first raid had started out like any other. He spent the morning flirting with the cook for an extra bit of the honey flatbread Adali preferred. The woman was old enough to be his mother, but tittered like a girl at every joke, and took to strolling the deck with his oud, strumming a light song. It was a traditional Adali folk tale about a giant whose heroism had healed their broken lands long ago. It was said when he returned, Adal would be united once more in peace. The sailors hummed along, starting out their day's work. Stopping to rest, he leaned against a railing beside a hawk-nosed sailor named Bidar, on account of his balding pate. Hailing from one of the Pasha kingdoms, the veteran sailor had once been an officer on an imperial vessel, an amazing feat considering he started as a lowly Zanja working the gas flats. His reasons for turning pirate were a mystery. But he found favor among Osman's crew, where rank counted for little, but age was valued. At the moment he was busied spying through a brass telescope, eyeing the distance. Peace be with you, uncle, Saleh greeted. Catch sight of something? He nibbled at the bread and a few sweet dumplings he kept in a trouser pocket. Could be, Bedar drawled beneath curving white whiskers that looked much like tusks. There's something big out there, moving behind some clouds. Salah turned to look, unable to make out anything beneath the sun's glare. What do you think it is? He paused his eating, eyes going wide before whispering, Is it a sky kraken? In his first two weeks aboard the beggar, the pirates had regaled him with tales of fantastic sights in their journeys, herds of green horses that galloped upon the waves, great rainbow-hued serpents that lived in snow-capped mountains, and monstrous sky-krakens with tentacles that could crush an airship within their armored bulk. Bedar barked a laugh. Sky-krakens don't hide behind clouds, boy. His voice lowered to a mutter, and he frowned as if recalling some memory. Unless it's a female nesting with her young, brute swarm like that can pick a ship clean. By the one and the many, that's not something I want to see again. With a shake, the old veteran brought himself back, unaware of Saleh's ashen expression. But don't you worry, boy, he assured. That's no kraken. That's a ship. A big, lumbering beauty of a ship. He offered a crooked grin at that, then shouted, Ship! Saleh jumped as his cry was picked up across the beggar. As one, the pirate crew raced to the railing, jostling one another for a good look. Osman soon appeared, reaching them in long strides. Found us some good hunting, uncle, he asked. Bedar cackled, making his whiskers dance. Fat and ready for the plucking. He handed the telescope to Osman, who peered out into the distance. Saleh still could see nothing, but the big man smiled broadly. The one and the many bless your marvelous eyes, uncle. He turned back to the crew. We go as three. Select your parties and be quick. 
His eyes fixed on Saleh, and something in them flickered. Oud player, grab your instrument and come along. Your skills might prove helpful in this raid. Saleh almost choked on a sweet dumpling. Raid? He croaked. But Osman was already moving, and he ran to catch up. The crew scurried all about them, like an ant's nest that had been kicked over. Clearing his throat, he tried again. I think there's a mistake. Oh? Osman asked, never stopping his hurried paces. I play an oud. I have no skills with... raiding. He stopped, gulping as an adali ran forward and handed Osman the largest rifle he had ever seen. The weapon began with a mahogany frame etched with gold designs and ended in two long silver barrels that flared open at the front like trumpets. Catching his stare, Osman grinned and patted the weapon with affection. I unburdened this from a Jaugan noble. The man used it to hunt giant thrice-tusk Marudial, majestic beasts, and he slew them for no more than sport. I let him spend extra time in the bowels, denying his family's ransom five times. I've never hunted Marudial, but I've put this rifle to good use. He leaned closer. You may have never raided a ship, but you're going to put that out to good use as well. Saleh barely recalled how he came to be on the small dhow, what the Adali call a bedin. It was one of three, with long iron hulls sporting wing flaps and small engines along with a lateen sail. It had all been a flurry of activity. What he mistook for disorder was in fact the well-honed precision of a crew of brigands. He was bundled into the vessel with Osman and several others, Kuli, of course. The melodious-voiced man leaned casually in the stern, eyeing Saleh's nervousness with barely suppressed glee. A grey-haired woman named Barisha, whose amber skin showed more muscles than most men, sat beside him. The two openly made bets on if the old player might empty his last meal or his bladder in the raid to come. Truth be told, he felt he might do both. A chip-toothed Hadali named Ganei prodded him, offering a small bit of jad the green leaf that stained the teeth and made your mouth dry as dust. But chewing it brought a bit of euphoria, and maybe bravery. Saleh accepted, stuffing a bit between his jaws and biting to release the nutty taste. Ready yourselves, Osman declared. The big man stood at the dhow's front, his head wrapped in bright yellow turban in the Adali fashion, and that giant rifle slung over one shoulder. We're right on top of her. And they were. Saleh gasped as he set eyes on the massive airship. It was slate-grey and bulbous, with at least eight spinning propellers that carried it slowly through the sky like a lazy whale. It dwarfed the beggar several times over, and in these dows they were gnats in comparison. We're going to raid that? he sputtered, almost swallowing the jad. Looks can be deceiving, Osman replied. This is a merchant freighter, too big too slow to outrun us, with a small crew and a small guard. They'll run before putting up much of a fight. When we board, stay close to Kuli and Barisha. He turned to them. Watch after him. Saleh looked to the two, who grinned toothily now like wolves. And they were to protect him? Shouldn't I have a sword? He asked. Or a pistol? Osman glanced down to him. Do you know how to use either? No, he admitted. He was a musician, not a fighter. Then no, 
Don't fret, old player. You'll be looked after. What I want you to do now, however, is play a song. Play it loud and play it clear. Saleh brought his oud around, uncertain. What kind of song? Osman thought for a moment. The one about the rich man and death. Oh, I like that one, Parisha perked up, earning a reproachful glare from Kuli. What? It's good. Saleh looked to the oud that sat heavy in his lap. An odd request. But what about this day hadn't been odd? Place your faith in the music, he heard Mahir lecture again. With a held breath, he put a tortoiseshell risha to the strings and plucked out the tune. The song told of a rich man who lived in a mansion atop a hundred stairs. Learning that death would come for him, he sought to cheat his end through trickery. He dressed a servant in his place and took up the garb of a poor gardener. Masked, the rich man watched as death began the long ascent up the hundred stairs, knowing the servant would be taken in his stead. But after reaching halfway, death let out a weary breath and turned to the rich man, saying, I came for your master, but I am too tired to walk these stairs further. I will have to take you instead. And the gardener, who was the rich man, dropped dead. The servant, now rich beyond measure, treated his workers well, paid them fair, and spent a lifetime giving away his wealth. When in the end death came for him as an old man, he went willingly and at peace. Saleh finished to find that he had gained an audience. The Dao was now close to the freighter, and several figures peered at them over the railing. They stared in confusion, trying to make sense of the approaching craft that made music as it came. For a moment there was silence, as the two groups merely watched the other. A sudden cry shattered the quiet, succeeded by the sound of pistols. Saleh cowered, thinking they had been shot at. But no, the sounds came from elsewhere on the freighter. It was followed by a second set of cries from yet another part of the airship. The two remaining dows of the raiding party, Saleh Fas realized. He hadn't noticed their disappearance. They had broken away, no doubt boarding the freighter elsewhere. His music had been a diversion to distract the airship guards. The gathered figures on the freighter seemed to grasp as much, many of them running off to meet these new threats. Osman beamed at his planned success. Lifting his rifle high, he fired it once into the air. The boom that followed was like thunder, enough to scatter the remaining figures on the railing. With a lurch, the Dao picked up speed, racing now to the freighter. When they reached, Osman jumped out even before the grappling hooks moored them, his booted feet landing easily on the deck. Kuli, Barisha, and the others followed. Someone was sent back to fetch Saleh, who was lifted and all but dragged aboard. Play us something lively, you old player, Osman bellowed. Something to move the spirit. Osman willed his trembling fingers still and began plucking out a song, a fast-paced tune usually accompanied by Adali clapping. This time, it matched the sound of battle. Saleh barely understood what was happening. He seemed to be running to and fro with his small group. Barisha brandished two leaf-bladed short swords and fought while screaming curses. Kuli's movements were as melodious as his voice, smiling as he whirled a slender sword. And Osman lived up to his fearsome tale. 
The pirate leader had left his great rifle in the dow and now wielded a long pistol and a heavy, wide-blade saber. He led their charge, the sight of him alone sending challengers scurrying from their path. Saleh scrambled to keep up. Plucking his oud as swords rang out and the scent of gunpowder filled the air. The airship's guards often stopped to stare at him, dumbfounded. He offered them awkward shrugs as Osman and the others took advantage of their confusion to press the attack. It was in the middle of this tumult that the man appeared. Saleh watched as he peeked a long face about a corner, sending furtive eyes darting about. He didn't look to be a guard, dressed as he was in a long violet kaftan and golden slippers. Glancing about, he sprinted across the deck, his arms laden with items. He appeared to be trying to reach a dhow anchored to the freighter, carefully avoiding any skirmishes. Saleh wondered if he should say something. He was no brigand. Did he care if someone on this hapless airship fled? The decision was taken from him, as a handful of frantic guards appeared. They shoved the man aside, ignoring his protest and clambering onto the dow. It seemed Osman was right. These hired sentries weren't willing to further risk their lives. They broke and ran everywhere now, making their escape. A nearby Malay sent the man scurrying heedless for safety, directly towards them. Saleh tried to shout a warning to the man, whose long face looked in every direction but the one he was running. Trying to move out of the way, he somehow tripped on his own feet. The collision was not graceful. Saleh went down in a heap with the man, careful not to fall on the oud, which was more precious to him than his own bones. The man bawled pitifully, trying to pull away, but his long kaftan prevented any extraction, and the two lay tangled in a mass of twisted cloth and limbs. It seemed to Saleh they rolled about on the deck in an undignified manner for a long moment. Then hands were upon him, separating them and lifting him up. Well caught, old player, Osman complimented. Saleh nodded shakily, dusting his clothes and checking his oud. No broken strings. Thieves! Bandits! the man howled. His long face was flustered as he wagged the finger adorned with rings menacingly in their direction. Do you have any idea who I am? I work for the Imperial Ministry in the Golden Archives. My family is noble-born. Have you any idea? Be quiet, Barisha growled. She slapped his backside with the flat of her sword, causing him to yelp. Osman bent to inspect him, plucking away the items he attempted to clutch onto. Some were books, of all things, and rolled parchments. Perhaps you know who I am, Osman greeted with a smile. I hear I am called the Pirate Prince, though I've never cared for the name. At that, the man's long face quailed. Well, that was an awesome beginning, and I, for one, cannot wait to share part two in our next episode. Yeah, I can't wait for listeners to check it out. And, you know, what can I say about it? There's some great music. There's the hint of travels to distant lands, something really shiny and something really horrifying lay right ahead. And for those who have enjoyed part one or any of our episodes, please feel free to drop a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 4, features With a Golden Risha, Part 1, by P. Jelly Clark. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Osadolohi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw. An executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Diana M. Foe. Performed by Wallace Hammond. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith and Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.